curiosity a true crime podcast i'm your host jade and thank you so much for joining me today i just also want to say thank you so much to anyone and everyone that listens to this podcast i say this every single time but i mean it every single time it's just amazing knowing that people actually listen to me talk every single week because sometimes i think you know my mom gets tired of me telling her stories so thank you When I'm recording this episode, I am, or by the time that this episode is up and out, I will definitely be back from my military duties. I'm going to be gone for two weeks, but don't worry. I have episodes. I'm not making that same mistake that I did last year where it was like, I said I'm coming back and I didn't. I pre-planned episodes. So last week we talked about the murder of Corey Parker, and this week we're going to be talking about the murder of Tamika Houston. So let's get started. Tamika Houston was born on December 11, 1979 in Spartanburg, South Carolina. She grew up in a pretty tight-knit community and she was known for her vibrant personality and for her passion of music. Tamika was deeply loved by her family and friends who described her as a very kind-hearted and full-of-life person. From an early age, Tamika showed a love for singing, and she had dreams of pursuing a career in the music industry. She had a beautiful voice, and she would often perform at family gatherings and local events. One time, she spent an entire day outside waiting to try out for American Idol in Atlanta, Georgia, but she was heartbroken when she was eliminated in the first round. Tamika decided to pursue her nursing degree when she was 24 years old. Tamika was a very spontaneous and adventurous girl, and when she didn't have anything to do, like go to class or go to work, she was free to do anything and she would pretty much go anywhere. Tamika lived in Spartanburg, South Carolina in the summer of 2004. Tamika's aunt, Rebecca Howard, found it strange one day when she hadn't heard from Tamika in a while. When she asked anyone else, you know, if they heard from her, they all said that they hadn't heard from Tamika. On June 14, 2004, after Rebecca called the Spartanburg police, officers went to Tamika's house. All the doors to Tamika's house were locked, but they were able to get in through a window. An APB was issued for Tamika's 1991 Black Honda CRX. Began investigating this disappearance, they began looking into Tamika's bank and phone records, but since she disappeared. Terrence Moss offered to help the police after learning about Tamika's disappearance. Terrence, who was Tamika's ex-boyfriend, had been living together until... They recently broken up three months before her disappearance. Tamika had reportedly accused Terrence of assault, according to the police. Terrence claimed that he only punched Tamika once, and he immediately dropped to his knees and started praying when he did that. 
Tamika decided to file charges against Terrence, and two weeks before her court date, she disappeared. So to police, it seemed kind of straightforward. I'm sorry if you can hear the ambulance in the back. To police, it seemed that Terrence may have killed her, and, you know, he killed her because she was going to file charges against him. So right away, he became the prime suspect. One month after Tamika disappeared, a woman calls police. She claims to have noticed flyers about Tamika's disappearance and her car throughout the neighborhood. She told police that she was very pretty much certain that she had seen Tamika's car parked behind an apartment building, only four miles from her house. Police arrived at the apartment buildings and Tamika's car was identified. Police started searching Tamika's car for any forensic evidence such as blood or signs of a struggle, but they found nothing. When they started to dust the car for fingerprints, they only discovered a partial print, and when they tested it against Terrence, Tamika's ex, or anybody in the database, neither of them resulted in a match. But what police did find was a pair of keys on the floor of the passenger side of the vehicle. All of the keys were tried in Tamika's car, but none of them worked. So police decided to go to Tamika's house and try the keys again, but none of them worked. They examined the keys for fingerprints, but came up with nothing. Police were trying every single locksmith, and none of them seemed to be able to do so until one locksmith was able to get the location of the key after checking his records. It was designed for the Fremont School Apartments. Now, the Fremont School Apartments was formerly, formerly, what am I trying to say? Formerly an elementary school before being converted into apartments by the government. Police tried the keys to each of the buildings, which had 46 units, but none of the keys led to the apartment. They discovered that the key was functional when it opened the door that led to a basement that had been an abandoned apartment that had been taken offline due to damage in a flood. Police removed everything from the apartment in the hopes that if they tested it, they might discover anything, something at this point, connecting them to Tamika. But it was a dead end. Police then learned from the apartment manager that when someone is evicted, maintenance removes the doorknob and replaces it with a new one. That way, if someone that has been evicted tries to re-enter the apartment, they couldn't because maybe they would come back with a duplicate key and the doorknobs would be different. The managers at the apartment didn't keep a record of which doorknobs they switch and to which apartment. So the police were again at a loss of what to do. Police asked the managers for a list of the current residents and those that have been convicted from the apartment. Now at this time, the police believed that they exhausted all their leads and they were just gonna, you know, ask Tamika's friends and family to check over the list in the hopes that they would be able to recognize at least one name. You know, like at this point they were like, let's just take a chance on this. None of the names on the list were familiar to Tamika's family, but 
one of her friends, was familiar. Tamika's friend reported to the police that Tamika had been seeing a man named Chris recently, but she didn't know his last name. Christopher Hampton was the name on the list. Exactly one month after Tamika disappeared, he was evicted from the apartments. Also, Christopher had a criminal history. He was found guilty of bank robbery in May 2000 and sentenced to four years in prison. At the time that police were able to locate him, Christopher was in jail serving a 30-day sentence for violating his parole. But Christopher was very much a free man at the time of Tamika's disappearance. Police questioned Christopher, and Christopher said that he knew Tamika, but he had no idea where she was. He stated that Tamika had told him she was going to bike week, but she didn't say who specifically she was going with. Police decided to compare the partial fingerprint from Tamika's car to Christopher's, but it wasn't a match. And once again, it seemed as though police had no other leads. The mother of his two children and Christopher's ex-girlfriend calls the police. She claimed that Christopher mailed her his wallet for safekeeping because he couldn't bring it with him when he went to jail to serve his 30-day sentence. When Christopher's ex heard about Tamika's disappearance and found out where the car had been recovered and that's where Christopher lived, she became a little bit worried. She then discovered a picture of her and her two children in the wallet, which had a drop of blood on it. They analyzed the blood that was visible on the photograph, and the result showed that it was human blood. Police now had to get DNA to see whose blood it was. Police get DNA from Tamika's family. When they tested it, the test came back as belonging to Tamika. When police went back to Christopher and questioned him about Tamika's death, he claimed that it could have been anyone's blood, as if DNA can't tell you these things. Like, come on, Christopher. He also denied having anything to do with Tamika. One woman came forward and claimed that she was seeing Christopher around the time that Tamika disappeared. She said that she was following the news and that at the time of her disappearance, she was in Christopher's apartment, apartment 215. The woman claimed that when she entered the bedroom, the dresser was shoved up against the closet door and the carpet had a reddish-brownish stain. Once police were able to get this information, police obtained a search warrant for the apartment 14 months later. And right away, as they went in, they could tell that it had been cleaned up by the way it looked and by the way that it smelled. However, there was one location where the usage of bleach was very obvious to investigators. It's very obvious to me and you as well. So they start tearing the carpet up and they see a reddish brownish stain just underneath. When they examined it, human blood was detected. More blood was discovered as investigators sprayed luminol throughout the apartment. They also found blood 
in the closet. The DNA test revealed that Tamika's blood was the blood in the apartment. Once again, police confronted Christopher with the evidence, physical evidence, against him, and Christopher at first denied everything. However, you know, after being made aware that this is actual real physical evidence and realizing that they're not looking at anyone else as a suspect, he stood up and said, come on, let's go. I'm going to show you where I hid Tamika's body. Christopher showed police where Tamika's body was located in a wooded location. While Christopher was dating Tamika, he was seeing other women. He took the iron and hit Tamika in her head. A drop of blood landed inside the wallet and he wrapped her body in the bed sheets and put her in the closet, then putting the dresser in front of the closet door. The woman that called the police stating that she noticed the blood stain in Christopher's apartment was actually a 15-year-old girl. So that night, the 15-year-old girl came over and I'm not going to say that they had sex because in South Carolina, the age of consent is 16 and this is a child and Christopher is a grown man. So we're going to say that Christopher sexually assaulted her. That happened that night after he murdered Tamika. The next day, Christopher borrowed a friend's car and buried Tamika. Then in the apartment complex, he abandoned Tamika's car, dropping his own keys in the process. And Christopher claimed that it was all an accident. On the first day of his trial in 2006, Christopher pleaded guilty to the murder of Tamika Houston and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Also, Anthony Houston, the father of Tamika Houston, was discovered dead inside his Serendipity Lane home in the Sunset Summits neighborhood in 2014. Joanne Brown Houston, his wife, was taken to the hospital where she later passed away. Ah, there's a spider. It's like those spiders that like, ah, sorry. Ugh. I feel cobwebs. And this is what I get for recording in a closet. Sorry about that. Um, both of them died from gunshot wounds. Police don't know who shot who, but they ruled it as a murder-suicide. End of episode thoughts. Why do people feel like when they're in a relationship, they can still go out and see other people? And when someone confronts them about it, they choose to kill someone. I don't understand that. You're literally throwing your whole life away because you got mad, you were in the wrong, and you couldn't be a man and stand there and understand the problem. No, you go and take someone's life. In a four-part documentary, Black and Missing, on HBO Max, which I'm pretty sure they changed to just Max, but they talked about the little-to-no media coverage that Tamika Houston case received. You know, it is so important to compare Tamika Houston's case with high-profile cases that received extensive media coverage. Now, 2005 was a huge year when it came to notable true crime cases, starting with Natalie Holloway. 
the 18-year-old woman who disappeared in Aruba in 2005, and we're still talking about that case till this day. And I'm not saying that like we're still talking about it like it's a bad thing, but it's a very prominent case. Jennifer Woolbanks, known as the Runaway Bride, was a big story that year as well. And Scott Peterson was sentenced to death, which, you know, was overturned, but still he was sentenced to death in 2005 for the 2002 murder of his pregnant wife, Lacey Peterson. The media coverage surrounding these cases were widespread. It was persistent. And everyone knows everything about these cases, and it was on every single news channel, TV series, and documentaries. And I think at a certain point, we have to turn the attention to other cases. So comparing this to Tamika's case, it didn't receive nearly as much information as the other cases did. And this shows the unequal representation in the media when it comes to missing people of color. Sometimes people see these cases as not newsworthy or less deserving of the public's attention. The case of Tamika Houston has left a, a lasting impact on the fight for equal treatment and justice for missing people. Tamika's legacy continues to inspire change around the country and promote awareness of the systemic bias and disparities that exist in missing person cases. We see that with every single true crime case when it comes to Black women or Native American women. And with that, today's episode comes to an end. Thank you so much for listening. My back is hurting from the way I've been sitting, but thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember, every Thursday, there is a new episode. What did I say? Bright and early at 7 a.m., just for you. If you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and rating so I know what you think of the show. You can keep up with me and the podcast at Instagram, at Criminal Curiosity Pod, Twitter, Crim Curiosity, and TikTok, Criminal Curiosity Pod. That is all that I have for you today. Please be safe out there. Look out for one another. Until next time, bye everyone.